0: Well, it is December. Uh, how many of you are fully prepared for Christmas on uh, this December what? We're December 3rd. Does somebody raise their hand? Okay, all right. Everybody go talk to her. She's got all the answers, apparently. Uh, but it is uh, December. And uh, as I, every December, we usually do a, a series in, uh, in and around the story of Christmas this year not being any different. And as I read the passage, I, I found myself doing a little research um, around some of the greatest fears of Americans, Americans in in particular, but I'm guessing that some of these fears are probably worldwide as well. And I found myself really relating to a number of them, uh, so I thought we would have a little fun and see what y'all are afraid of too. Okay, so if any of these, if you, when I say this, go ahead, raise your hand if you're terrified of these things. Okay, I'll go first. Number one on the list was snakes. Anybody else afraid of snakes? Yeah, like I like. Yes, I have this internal fear that snakes are going to crawl in my bed at night sometimes. Yeah, Jane, you and I. Yes, Jane, Jane, yeah. How about heights? Anybody afraid of heights? Yeah, my mother's terrified of heights. Uh, I've been on a couple of rides with her before. It is miserable to go on a ride with her. Uh, spiders, anybody afraid of spiders? Yeah, yeah spiders. Uh, I'm not real afraid of spiders, but I get it. I get why people would be afraid of spiders. They're kind of freaky. Uh, public speaking? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah, Okay. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have the fear of public speaking, but um, I understand why, why you might as well. So, the, yeah, those are some of the top four that came up. Here are some other ones that were next in line. Crowded spaces, right? Like claustrophobia. Yeah, I know. Disease, insects, fire, social situations. Heather, yeah, Heather. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen, right? Here's, here were the, the final three, though. Being touched. Kristen, maybe. Yeah? Maybe? Okay. Feet? Anybody afraid of feet? They're kind of gross. I don't know if I'm afraid of them. And then the last one was this. I don't even know what this means. Clusters of small holes. You're afraid of clusters of small? What does that mean? Like, okay, alright, whatever. That's fine. Okay. So that one's just really irrational. I don't understand. All right, here here we go. Let's bring it back. Come on, bring it back in here, people. Let's come. Come on. So on a more serious note, there's a university in Orange County that does a a study each year on the most prevalent fears of Americans. They've been doing it for about 10 years. It's called Chapman University. And they, they weren't so sort of irrational feel, fears, if you will, that we have, but fears that are actually occurring among people in America. And they range from topics about the environment, government, economy, war, disease, etc. And here were the results that were released in October of this year. At the very top of the list, our greatest fear as Americans is corrupt government officials. Okay. All right. Yeah. We got some applause in the back. Yeah. Uh, number two was an economic or financial collapse. Yeah. I think we all fear that a little. <laughs> number three was Russia using nuclear weapons. Yeah. I mean, we sh- maybe we should be afraid of that, I guess, right? Uh, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Yeah. Next was people I love becoming seriously ill. Oh, yeah. People I love dying. Yeah. Cyber terrorism. Not having enough money for the future. It's getting a little too close to home, maybe. Here's the thing fear is very, very real to us. It's rampant even in our world today. And somehow fear captures our imaginations in a way that most things can't. Right? When you begin to fear something like snakes, your imagination. Starts to imagine snakes seeping into your bed at night. At least that's what mine does. (laughs) Right? It captures our imagination. And we could fear just about anything if we allow it. You know, there are literally terms, right, like claustrophobia or arachnophobia. There are terms for these fears. The fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. There's an actual phobia of that. The fear of the number eight. Which I find curious because I thought if you were gonna have a fear, it would be seven. Do you know why? Because seven, eight, nine, right? That was good. That was good. Come on. Some of you are gonna drive home and then you'll get it. You'll be like, oh, that's what he meant. There's a literal fear of the number eight. I don't know what it is. Does it look like a snowman? I don't get it. But the fear of balloons, the fear of belly buttons. There's a literal word for the fear of belly buttons. Oh, this one's good though. The fear of being without your phone. Yeah. Some of you are like, no, but I would never leave it behind. Right? <laughs> now look, there's certainly a healthy version of fear. right? Fear can often protect us. It can keep us safe keep us out of harm's way. But when it becomes unchecked, fear can paralyze us with its power. And I'm not sure how many of us look forward to waking up each morning afraid of our government officials, nuclear war, loved ones getting sick, or not having enough money. But it still happens. Even when we don't want it to, it still happens. And I have found, biblically, that when fear takes over, that when fear arises in our lives, it is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to choose how will we respond in that moment, which brings us to Christmas. So it is the Christmas season, and I'm sure many of you have jumped headfirst into all of the festivities, right? You're Tree is up, your lights are on the house, the songs are playing in the car, the bank account is starting to get smaller by the minute. It's this wonderful time of the year, and it really is. I do love this time of the year. And, And so it's my hope for all of us at Genesis that we would enjoy this time of year. We would enjoy the parties and the movies and the music and the meals and the gift giving, but it's also my hope that we will not neglect the true purpose of this Christmas celebration, which is why we're starting this series we call God With Us. Because the promise of Christmas is that while we were still lost, while we were still in our sin and rebellion against God, God in His grace and love came to be with us. Instead of leaving us to fend for ourselves, He joined us in our fear and in our uncertainty, in our unfaithfulness, and in our weakness. And so it's my great hope for you and for me that this Christmas we'll be reminded that Jesus still is Emmanuel, God with us. So grab your phone if you haven't done so yet, open up the YouVersion app, and uh, you can follow along with what we're going to read. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Now it's likely that many of you have heard this story before, many times over for many of you. But as someone once told me, we rarely need new information about God. We need to be reminded of what we already know. Christmas is one of those times a year that in December, we need to be reminded of what we already know. We need the reminder every December that God is still with us including this story in Luke chapter 1. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, history uh, shows us that it had been hundreds of years since God's people had heard from God in Luke chapter 1. For centuries, the Jewish people had been given prophet after prophet, king after king who spoke on God's behalf. But for about 400 years, they heard nothing, radio silence from God, until now, Luke chapter 1. Oddly, though, God's very first announcement after hundreds of years of silence isn't to the masses in Rome or on the streets of Athens and in Greece. Instead, it is to a young teenage girl in the nowhere town of Nazareth with a population of only a few hundred people. You know, God is a curious being sometimes. He's a mystery It seems mysterious to me that after 400 years of silence, that God would decide this is where I'm going to send my angel Gabriel, and yet this is what he does. Now based on what we know of Mary, she was a virgin, we know, she was engaged to a man named Joseph. Most scholars believe because of that, she would have been somewhere in the ages of 12 to 16 years old. That was commonplace for a young girl to get engaged and get married and begin to have children. She was a freshman in high school. Okay, let's just put that I have a daughter who is a freshman in high school. Gentlemen, ain't no way you're getting engaged to my daughter right now. Okay, she needs to be 37 years old. (laughs) She's not in the room, so I can say that she's helping with the kids. But but let's just put that into context of who Mary is. She has lived on earth 12 years, maybe 14. That's not very many years. When I was 12 years old, if God had asked me to do what he is asking Mary to do, it would have been a massive disaster. And it probably would have been for you as well. Again, this is not the person you would suspect God would utter his first words to after hundreds of years of silence. By the way, teenagers in the room, I hope you understand how much God loves you from a passage like this, how much God believes in you from a passage like this. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. All right, here it is, though. God, I'm going to say my first thing I've said in 400 years. I'm going to Nazareth. Nobody's ever even thought about Nazareth. And I'm going to this young girl named Mary. And it is there that I'm going to send my angel Gabriel to speak into this world. That is where I want to break my silence, God says. And this is what he says in breaking his silence. Verse 29. Confused and disturbed, which can we all agree? Yep, I get it, okay? Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, again, it's very clear that Mary is terrified by the presence of Gabriel my guess is we would all be as well, right? Angels don't appear often. And when they do, my understanding of it scripturally is that it is an event that you are unprepared for emotionally. And so Mary cannot understand why an angel is standing before her. But if the very presence of the angel weren't enough for her, he then tells her that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, just a little context. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, has been talked about for thousands of years in the Old Testament. That is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for for thousands of years. And what Mary is hearing in that moment is, by the way, Mary, you, freshman in high school, are going to give birth to that one Messiah that is a tall order for a teenager that is a tall order for anybody but especially for a teenage girl living in the first century he's going to bring God's kingdom to earth this baby he this baby is just not just going to be king but he is going to be king of all things for all time who will reign forever and ever It's always important to remember that we have the luxury of seeing the full story when we read something like this, right? We're we're thousands of years removed from this story. We know what happens next, but Mary doesn't. We have the luxury of knowing how this plays out. But Mary has no idea in that moment what is going to happen. She doesn't have a clue that the shun she is going to bear is going to change the history of the world. You can only imagine the thoughts and the questions that must be going through her mind. One like this, verse 34. Mary asks the angel. This is a very practical question, okay? Mary's practical. She says, "Uh, excuse me. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I, I think we often pass by the courage that Mary exhibits in this passage. I mean, it is inspiring what this young girl has agreed to. She will go on to be the beloved mother of our Emmanuel, Jesus. But I also want you to notice that it didn't start with courage for her. It started for her with fear. In verse 30, Gabriel tells her, don't be afraid. I mean, Mary's initial reaction to all of this, to God's first words in centuries, is not elation and excitement. It's terror. It's fear. And in my opinion, Gabriel's appearance to Mary is actually the least scary thing that happens in this passage. Becoming pregnant with the Savior of the world is not only a tall order for Mary, but it is going to cause all sorts of issues for her practical daily life. She's engaged to Joseph. Becoming pregnant prior to their marriage puts them in jeopardy with the Jewish community. They might be excommunicated, from their friends and their family. And when asked why she's pregnant, which will be a logical question, Mary, you're not married, why are you pregnant? Her answer will have to be, I swear, I, we, didn't, we didn't do what you thought we did. It was God, right? typical teenage response to this, right? That's what people are going to be like, oh, another, yeah, sure, sure, it was God, yeah. Use Jesus, right? I mean, it's not a real believable story, not a very satisfactory answer, but she is going to have to walk this life for the next nine months at least and probably for the next 33 years. People will point fingers at Mary And they'll say things like, oh, that's the bastard child Jesus. I mean, do you understand her fear here? And yet, the courage that she has. Because in the end, the fears that she faces, Mary says these words, I am the Lord's servant, may everything you have said about me come true. And so it makes me ask the question, what happened What happened from Mary being fearful of even just the presence of Gabriel and asking the question, like, how's this going to happen? and Fearful of what might happen with her life after this all occurs. What happens to Mary and her fear between verse 30 and verse 38? Well, I believe that Gabriel says something to Mary in verse 30 that gives us a clue as to how Mary overcomes the fear in her situation. He says to her, don't be afraid. And then he says, for you have found favor with God. That's a curious statement to me when trying to calm someone's fears. Because I wonder, how is God's favor supposed to help a person overcome the fear in your life? How is God's favor going to enable you to overcome your fear of the future, your fear of not having enough money, your fear of what's going to happen to the economy and to the government? How is God's favor going to overshadow the fears of your life and enable you to live in courage like Mary? What's well, interesting, the word favor that is used in verse 30 is actually the word, the Greek word kharin, the word happens to be a derivative of the word charis, charis. Does anybody know what that word means? Grace. In other words, when Gabriel says to Mary, you found favor with God, he's saying God is giving you an abundance of his grace. And listen now, when you experience the abundance of God's grace, his favor, fear takes a back seat. God's favor to Mary is more than enough to overshadow whatever fears she may have. It overcomes her fear in a way that leads her to courage and to say, I will be a faithful servant in this. And listen to me, like he did for Mary, at Christmas... We remember that God came to meet your fear with his favor. He came to meet your fear with his favor. The coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has allowed the favor of God, the abundant grace of God to overcome whatever fear we may, that may come our way. When we come to understand the depth of his love for us and the grace he's lavished on us, our fears take a back seat to his favor, to his grace. And this is why God is constantly telling his people the same thing over and over and over again. Isaiah 41, 10, he says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. My favor is with you. Psalm 23, four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will feel, fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? Your, faith, your grace is there for me. 2 Timothy 1, seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That is a passage, not about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but by a benevolent God saying, I will meet your fear and give you my favor. And when you receive my grace, my abundant grace in your life, the forgiveness of sins, the new identity in who you are, you won't live in fear, but you will live with power and love and self-discipline. You know, I'm not sure what you're afraid of these days. There is much to be afraid of it might be the government or the economy or sickness or your child's future, whatever it may be, I am here to tell you that Christmas reminds us that God came to meet your fear with his favor. Whatever it is that you are fearing right now, It's my hope that you would simply receive the abundant favor of God, his grace given to you, and allow it to overshadow whatever fear you may have. Now, I'm pretty confident that Mary didn't walk out of that conversation and never think about the fear that she had about what may come. My guess is at night when she laid her head on the bed, fear started to take over a little bit. And do you know what she was reminded of? The words of Gabriel, God's favor is with you. His grace is yours. On Friday, we um, celebrated my oldest son Landon's 19th birthday. Um, And I couldn't help but think of the day that Landon was born. This happens for parents, right? Especially as your kids get older, you're like, wow, it's been 19 years. I remember that. And so Kristen and I, uh, it was a challenging time for us. Uh, we were married only nine months earlier. Um, that's right. Uh, we did the math. Trust me, it works out. It's okay. Um, you know, we didn't have to be like, no, God did it. We didn't have to say that. Uh, it, was, it was a thing. But we were young. You know, we were naive. We were inexperienced. And to be honest, Landon was not part of our plans as newlyweds. We had scripted out our next five to 10 years, you know, and there there was no baby in any of it. (laughs) And yet there we were on December 1st, 2004 at a hospital in Chandler welcoming our son into the world. (laughs) And there's like a video or a picture or something of me you can see the terror in my eyes. <laughs> it is palpable. It is bad. I am like, this is not good, right? Uh, and, and you would just see the terror in my eyes. And, and so Kristen and I, on Friday, we were sitting early in the morning and we were reminiscing about this and she recalled something that happened to her the day after Lana was born. And she was alone with him and she distinctly remembers telling God, what makes you think I can do this? This is a big deal, God. What makes you think that I can do this? You know, I think for both of us, the fear of raising a child and not being prepared was just running rampant in our heads. And she said that God sort of spoke to her and said, Because I think you can do this. I believe in you, and I will be with you the entire time. Do you know what that is? That's God's favor. You know it. That is God's abundant grace. In the face of fear, when we're at all the questions we have and we don't know what's going to happen next and the bank account doesn't seem to add up, when, the gifts, when we have a baby and we're nine months married and now we have this child, we have, we're 23 years old, we don't know what to do, God speaks into that situation and he says, I think you can do this. My grace is sufficient for you. Don't be afraid. My favor is with you. God met Kristen's fear in that moment with his favor. His abundant grace and presence overshadowed any fear she may have about raising a newborn. And I guarantee you, there have been nights ever since, 19 years of nights, where we lay down at night and the thought in Kristen's mind is why do you think I can do this? Am I right? And those same words come back because I think you can do this. I believe in you and I will be with you the entire time. And once again, our fear is met with God's favor. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to simply bring your fears before God. Stop trying to fix it all. Stop trying to hold tightly to it. Stop trying to make it work out the way you just want it. Stop hiding from it, but instead just bring it before God and allow His favor, His abundant grace to speak into the situation, to overcome it, to be reminded that He ultimately is sovereign. He is in control. He is with you that he will strengthen you, that you have been given a spirit of favor and grace, not a spirit of fear. And lastly, I want to just say to those of you who maybe have never received God's grace in your life, that if you have never experienced his favor, his love, his forgiveness, will you do me the favor? Will you do yourself the favor of turning to Jesus this morning? He came for you. Christmas is the reminder that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, God came for us. That while we were still in our sin, he came to give us new life. And that invitation is there for you. It's likely that you have been walking in fear your whole life. And for the first time, you have heard that God has grace and favor for you. And I want you to walk towards that this morning. Our God is filled with more grace than we could imagine. And so in the midst of fear, like Mary did, it's my hope this morning, the opportunity exists for us to turn to him and receive his favor, his grace. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful. And in the midst of fear, you continue to meet us right where we are. You know, we don't know what the future holds any more than Mary knew what the future held for her on that day when Gabriel appeared. I get it. I relate. The the, the confusion, feeling disturbed and and fearful, I, I get it. And God... Yet what a loving, kind display you put on as you met your fear with your with her fear with your favor. God, we are walking into a season where we are gonna celebrate and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have fun and we're gonna enjoy this season, but there are gonna be moments, God, when fear creeps in. when that happens I pray God that your voice would be stronger than the voice of fear that we would be reminded that right there in that moment you meet us with your favor with your grace again you say to us I am with you I got this I will strengthen you you have nothing to fear I am by your side this morning God we give you our fears the many that they are And we ask, God, that in this moment you would meet us with your favor. If you're here this morning, I ask that you would step towards Jesus. Receive his favor. Know that he is with you, that he has come for you. That his grace is abundant. Lord, thank you for him. Thank you that he would leave his throne in heaven, to come and to walk among us, to live among us, to live the life we could never live, to die a death we deserved, and to raise again three days later to give us the hope of new life. We place our faith and our hope in that. We give you our fears, and we ask for your favor. It's in Jesus' name we pray.